Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 15 this morning, very familiar portion of scripture for many of us. Page 1117, if you are using that Bible under the seat in front of you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of having your word. pray that you'd give us understanding. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege of what we're doing right now, communicating with you, talking to you. Thank you that you hear our prayers. What a privilege, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would make our communication with you, our prayer time with you, real, vibrant, effective, and fruitful. Instruct us, Lord, on prayer this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospels tell us several times that Jesus prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, was a man of prayer. And there was... Something that was so attractive about his prayer life to the disciples. People love to hear Jesus pray. The disciples love to hear Jesus pray. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. We never read of them asking Jesus to teach them how to do miracles, how to feed the multitude or cast out demons. We never read of them asking Jesus to teach them how to preach or prophesy or teach, but Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to pray just like you do. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches them this prayer, a kingdom prayer for kingdom people. Let's read through it. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, in this manner... Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please notice in verse 9, this is so important. Jesus said, in this manner, therefore pray. Jesus is giving us a pattern for prayer here. This is a framework, an outline prayer. Jesus is supplying us the scaffolding for structuring a solid prayer life. This is a skeletal prayer. It's only 65 words long, takes about 30 seconds to read. It's an outline. It's meant to have meat added to the bone. So this is, this is not a prayer that was ever intended to be repeated over and over and over again in a mindless way. Jesus doesn't say, 
in these exact words, therefore pray over and over and over and over. In this manner, pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing this prayer, reciting it out loud. We've done it before. We'll do it again. But just understand that it's a guide. Jesus is giving us the essential principles, elements that should be included in prayer. And we're going to briefly go through those this morning. But before we do, notice that Jesus commands us to address God in prayer as Father. I love that detail. Jesus says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father. If Jesus were speaking in Aramaic, and he may have been when he originally preached this sermon, he would have used the term Abba, which is the most intimate form a father. Dearest father. Dearest dad. Now that sounds kind of normal to us today if you've grown up in the church and you've heard people pray in the church. We pray Heavenly Father all the time. But when Jesus taught this, it was revolutionary. Nobody called God dearest dad. Nobody called him father. God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament only 14 times. And only in the sense of the patriarchal, you know, the Father, the corporate Father of Israel. But never in a personal, individual way. God was seen by the religious leaders in the day of Jesus as the sovereign, unapproachable, transcendent God. The God whose name was too holy to pronounce. A lot of people in the day of Jesus saw God as a scary dictator. Like the Godfather. Instead of God the Father, right? They were afraid of God. They stood back from God. Jesus came along and said, Call God... Dearest dad. Jesus transferred the fatherhood of God from a theological doctrine into an intense practical experience. And he taught his disciples to pray with the same intimacy. Now that's what I think was so attractive about the way Jesus prayed. He prayed as if God was real. And there was relationship. A father-son relationship. Now, that's something very important to understand when it comes to prayer. True Christian prayer is born out of an intimate, personal relationship that you have with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, because of what Jesus did on the cross, all of your sins are forgiven. You become righteous in the eyes of God. And you enter into his family, into his kingdom. You become a child in the family of God. God becomes your father. And out of that relationship, you get to call him dearest dad. Jesus commanded us to pray that way. 
What a privilege. Now, Jesus does say, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven. God is your Father, but he's a Father like no other, right? He's your Father in heaven. He's way more powerful than any other earthly Father. God is transcendent. God is high and lifted up, holy and righteous. So whenever you pray, always approach your heavenly father with reverence and respect. He's a good father. He knows you intimately and loves you. But he's also the transcendent one. I cringe sometimes the way some Christians refer to God. Oh, my old buddy God. My pal God. BFF, me and God, right? Like God is some celestial teddy bear. No, he's your sovereign Lord. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And he's the creator of all things. So we can affectionately call God dearest dad. But always, always with a sense of wonder. And awe and reverence. We have access to God. And Jesus says, pray our Father in heaven. Okay, now let's look at the elements of this prayer. Now, you're going to notice, or you should notice, that most of this prayer is God-directed, God-focused. The first three petitions in this prayer are all about God's interests, not ours. The prayer starts with worship. Jesus says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I always remember that little kid in Sunday school who thought God's name was Howard. Misunderstood this prayer. Not Howard be thy name, but hallowed be thy name. To hallow means to set apart, to treat as uniquely holy, to set apart as sacred. Hallowed be. Your name. Now, in Jewish thought, the name encompassed the whole being. It wasn't a cute name that you just came up with your, for your son or daughter. The name was, it, I mean, somebody's name was them, their whole person. So, really, hallowed be you, God. That's worship. In your prayer, recognizing that God is the unique one. He's the holy one. You worship him. You tell him that you adore him. You recognize his uniqueness. And you worship him. And there's also petition in it. Jesus said, pray, hallowed be your name. The idea is 
not only do we worship God when we pray, but we pray that all would worship, that his name would be hallowed everywhere. Abba, Father, may your name as Father be reverenced among all men now and at the end of time for all of eternity. God, may you be worshipped by me and everyone. May your glory be known. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we pray for that. My brother and sister in Christ, listen, worship should be a very big part of your prayer life. Where you just worship. You magnify the Lord. You glorify him. You know, something that's real effective with that type of uh, prayer is, is using music. For 2,000 years, when the church has gathered together, there, there have been hymns and worship songs. These are little prayers put to music to help us to worship. Use music in your uh, quiet time. Sing songs of praise to the Lord. Nobody's with you. Nobody's going to wonder about how bad your voice is or anything. Worship the Lord. The prayer begins with worship. And by the way, it even ends with worship. Verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So hallowed be your name. A second element there at the beginning of verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That should be a constant cry in our prayer life. God, I want to see your kingdom come. Now, there's certainly a future component to that prayer. The Bible teaches that one day, and I believe very soon, Jesus is coming again. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to put an end to injustice, to pain, to suffering, to sin, to the devil. And I can't wait for that day. I'm longing for that day. And we should pray for that day. Lord, may your kingdom come. In fact, the second to last verse in the Bible, Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. And John the Apostle says, amen, even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. I'm longing for his kingdom to come. And we should pray for that. But there's also a present component to this prayer request. Lord, may your kingdom come now. Now, into the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl. May the gospel message be spread worldwide. May people get saved. One of your most 
important, consistent prayer requests as a born-again Christian should be that other people meet Jesus and get to know him. That the kingdom of God would come now. And when you pray that regularly, you'll become sensitive to your role in the expansion of God's kingdom. Someone said, praying your kingdom come demands a depth of commitment from us. And such a commitment produces a life that makes a difference in our society and world. Kingdom power impacts our most intimate relationships. Lives are influenced for Christ. Many are changed. We can make a difference in our schools. The ethics of those who rule our city can be touched by the kingdom. Sometimes whole societies can be elevated. Pray your kingdom come. Huge part of your prayer life. Verse 10 goes on to say, Pray like this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is, whose will should matter the most to us in our personal lives when we pray? God's will. The constant prayer of our life should be your will be done. Prayer is not about us trying to get our will on earth accomplished in heaven. Prayer is really about trying to get God's will in heaven accomplished on earth. You don't come to God in prayer with your agenda. God, here's my agenda. Here's what I need you to do today for me. Dot, dot, dot. True prayer, the heart of prayer, is coming to God And trying to discover his agenda. What's your agenda, God? Your will be done. I think we should pray regularly as as Christians. Father, your will be done in my life. And by the way, we know what God's will is for us. In the scripture... God's will is for us to be sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus. To become more holy. To become stronger in our faith. To become a better witness. That is God's will. So if you're praying for that, you better be working towards that. You know, you may be going through some kind of circumstance, some crazy circumstance in life, and we all do. And you may have, you know, your, your quick reaction the way you would want to react to something. But step aside and say, God, what is your will in this matter? Your will be done in this circumstance. Your will be done on this planet. Your will be done in this community. Your will be done in my life. Pray for that all the time. By the way, God's will is awesome. 
You know, true Christian prayer is, is a time of worship, and it's also a time of surrender. You know, you could, you could boil down the fight within the Christian life to a battle of wills. Your will, God's will. Which will matters most? And the will that he has for you is wonderful. He's got good plans for you. So pray that. Don't be a selfish, immature Christian who's always praying for yourself. And there are a lot. They, they, all they do is pray about their things. They, their, their prayer is, my kingdom come. My will be done. Like little toddlers. Mine. My will. That's not prayer. There was a young lady who was desperately wanting to be married and she kept praying for a husband every time she prayed she prayed for a husband out loud in groups whatever and finally a a wise christian woman said look you need to start praying for other people and so she began to pray dear god give my mom a wonderful (laughs) son-in-law don't play games like that Now check out these first three elements that should be consistent in your prayer life according to Jesus. Worship. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Okay, we get into the second half and now we get to these personal petitions. Verse 11. Give us this day. Our daily bread. Jesus commands us to pray for daily provision. The basic needs and physical necessities of life. Food, water, shelter, clothing, medicine, transportation. God commands us. The Lord commands us to ask God to meet our needs. And you know, God is your heavenly father and he loves to do so. He is very concerned about that area in your life. And the command here, the emphasis here is that we are to be daily, daily dependent upon our Heavenly Father for basic needs. Now, when Jesus originally taught this prayer, um, a lot of people in his day literally would work every day for the bread that they ate that day. You could take this very, very literally. By the way, you know, there's still a lot of people on planet Earth that live life that way today, right? All over the world. They literally pray every day, God, give me bread. We don't experience that here as much in America, although statistics are now telling us that The majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. But we don't seem to have those daily pressures. I mean, we have our big houses and our storage rooms and our pantries. Some of us have two refrigerators, extra freezers. 
lots of restaurants, supermarkets everywhere. But Jesus is still telling us, and I think it's still valid, that we are to depend upon God as our Heavenly Father daily. Okay, we may have a lot of things that, a lot of pressures that they didn't have back then or or in other parts of the world, but we still have daily pressures. Perhaps there are some of you that have a sickness or a medical condition that requires daily attention. I heard about an elderly Christian lady. She fell and broke her hip. And as she lay discouraged in a hospital bed, she asked the doctor, how long will I have to stay here? And the wise doctor replied, just one day at a time, ma'am. Just one day at a time. We are called to daily depend upon the Lord. Maybe you have dietary restrictions, physical issues that you have to depend on God for daily. Maybe you're going through a really uh, difficult time in work. You know, a lot of accountants that we know, we won't see again until April 15th, right? They're so busy. And maybe it's every day you get up and say, God, give me this day strength. I believe that we're to ask our Heavenly Father to help us in every need, emotionally, physically, socially. Give us daily bread, Lord. Give us that energy, that strength that we need. Even when things are going okay. I mean, every day you could thank God for your job. You say, well, I worked very hard to earn that job. Yeah, God gave you the strength. God opened lots of doors in your life. By the way, those jobs, and you know those things, can, they can go away very quickly. We are to be daily dependent on our Heavenly Father. God wants us to be. He wants us to be checking in with him daily. You know, what if, what if the Lord had said to pray, give us this month our monthly bread. Give us this year our yearly bread. How often would you be tempted to pray? Every month? Every year? We're to connect with our Heavenly Father every day. Be dependent upon him. So pray about all of those needs in your life. The book of Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Your heavenly father cares. Look at the next element, verse 12, very important. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. So confession. Confession is a very important part of our prayer life. Jesus said to us to pray regularly. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Here sin is likened to that of a debt. That hangs over you like a dark cloud. Forgive us our debts. 
Now, there's something really, really important to understand here. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, as I mentioned earlier, you are completely born again. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. You are righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with him. Do Christians still sin? Some of you are nodding enthusiastically. Yes, Christians still sin. When a Christian sins, they don't lose their salvation. They don't lose their relationship with God. Because we're saved through faith in Christ Jesus. But sin in the life of a believer can create a break in fellowship. It can clog the health, the spiritual health of your life. You can have your fellowship dampened. Your prayer life can be dampened through sin. And so that you're, you're supposed to confess your sins regularly. So, parent, you have a son or daughter. That son or daughter is always going to be that to you. That relationship will never be severed. They're your son. They're your daughter. But when that son or daughter does something wrong, it kind of breaks fellowship. There's an issue. And it needs to be healed. There needs to be amends. There needs to be confession. And there needs to be makeup. That's what it's like with you and your heavenly father. You're never going to lose your relationship with him. But sin in your life can hinder. So a huge part of your prayer life should be self-examination. Lord, Forgive me where I've blown it. Maybe you would pray, Lord, forgive me for the way I treated my spouse the other day. I was angry with her or I didn't treat her properly. Forgive me. So you ask for that forgiveness and then the Holy Spirit's also going to tell you, now go to your spouse and ask her for forgiveness. Self-examination. It's a very big part of your spiritual health. In fact, someone said, bread is to our body what forgiveness is to our soul. Now, very important. You have been forgiven of all your sins. And God forgives you daily. In your parental son-daughter relationship with him. So you should forgive others. Bitter grudges and unforgiveness in your heart towards other people will hinder your prayer life. And that's why Jesus says there in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What seems to be said there is, You will experience God's daily forgiveness in your life in the same measure that you forgive others. Whoa. 
Do not harbor grudges. We're to forgive others. And by the way, Jesus is commenting on that in verse 14 and 15. When he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now understand, salvation is not the focus there. We are not saved forever going to heaven because we forgive other people. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. However, when you refuse to forgive others who trespass against you as a saved Christian, your fellowship with your Heavenly Father will be dampened. Your prayer life will be hindered. Someone put it this way. God supplies us with forgiveness day by day, but you determine the size of your bucket. If you want total forgiveness, make sure you don't harbor a grudge against people. Brother and sister in Christ, you've been forgiven so much. And we're forgiven so much day by day by day by day. True born-again Christians, they forgive. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying you have to become best friends. Or that things will become completely reconciled with the people that have offended you. But you should release. Forgive people. Because God has forgiven you. One final element we're to pray regularly for our spiritual protection. Verse 13, Jesus says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Jesus tells us to pray, do not lead us into temptation. That throws a lot of people. Are we to pray, God, don't lead us into temptation, and if we forget to pray that, is God going to lead us into temptation? Does our Father tempt us? Absolutely not. The scripture is absolutely clear. James 1 verse 13 tells us God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God does not tempt you to sin. You tempt yourself. The enemy tempts. So, the prayer, do not lead us into temptation. The emphasis is on lead us. Jesus says, pray to your Father, lead me in such a way that I don't succumb to temptation. That's the heart. It's like when Jesus said to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember when they couldn't stay awake? God told them to pray. And they couldn't stay awake. And Jesus said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you don't blow it. The heart of this prayer, God, Heavenly Father, give me strength in the midst of temptation. 
never come to a point as a believer where you think you become above falling in some sin. Never. Be on guard every day. Ask the Lord to help you in the midst of temptation. To steer you clear of it. To get you out of it. Jesus also says here, pray, deliver us from the evil one. We should pray regularly, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us means rescue. That's one way to interpret the word. Rescue. The word for evil in the Greek is poniairos, and it's ambiguous. It literally reads in the Greek, and deliver us from the evil. That's what it says in the Greek. So you could supply different things. Lord, deliver us from the evil thing. Maybe the addiction. The moral issue. Deliver, rescue us from that daily. Or it could be the evil one, a person in general. Maybe there's somebody really evil in your life. Pray that God would deliver you. Or it can refer to the evil one. Satan. The devil who is very real and who wants to harass you as a Christian. Who wants to neutralize you as a Christian. Pray for deliverance. Pray for rescue. This word deliver is also, it could also be translated to draw to draw us. And I like this interpretation. Lord, draw me to yourself that I might be strong in the face of temptation. Draw me to yourself that I may be delivered from evil. I like that. Consistently pray for spiritual protection. Pray that God would keep you strong. Now, I want you to think through these these elements. Three of them are directed towards God and his interests. Two of them are for your spiritual health. One is for what? Your physical needs. Now, I ask you, which one do we tend to major on? Right? So can I challenge you this morning to turn that around in your prayer life? Make your prayer life more God-oriented. Seeking his will. Pray for your spiritual health. Pray for your spiritual protection. And yes, pray for your physical needs. The Heavenly Father cares for that. But don't make that the priority. This is a good guideline to have. Worship, kingdom, his will, daily bread, confession. 
strength and protection. A lot of people use the Lord's Prayer in the bulleted form like that to guide them in the way they pray. There's other things that Christians use. Acts, have you heard of that? Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. These are elements in your prayer life. Now, by the way, don't feel like you have to go through all of these steps every time you pray. You know, sometimes when you pray, maybe it should just all be about worship. Or maybe there's other times where you pray and it's all about spiritual strength. And maybe there are times where you have some some desperate needs and it's all about praying for physical needs. You don't have to go through all of it. In fact, sometimes you, you just have to cry out like Peter when he started sinking on the sea. Did he go through Acts? Well, first let me adore. What was his prayer? Do you remember? Help! So this isn't something that you you get legalistic and keeping all of these things. Remember, you have a personal relationship with your heavenly father. And it's real. And the dialogue is real. And the emotion is real. Enter in. Enter in. Some of you might be thinking, now wait a minute, something's missing in this prayer. What about intercession? What about praying for other people? No, it's there. You notice all the uh, plural pronouns. Our Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead, do not lead us and de- deliver us. This, Jesus gave this prayer in the context of a family. And so not only should we be praying these things for ourselves but for others. Pray for your own needs. Pray for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your own spiritual protection. Oh man, pray for the spiritual protection of others. It's all there in this prayer. And it's beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for relationship that we can have with you. Lord, I'm so grateful this morning that we can call you dearest dad, heavenly father, We trust you. Hallowed be your name. And your kingdom come and your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.